Victory has a thousand fathers, but defeat is an orphan. So said JFK. Meanwhile, Jacob Kindleberger observed that a little competition is a good thing, but that severe competition is a blessing. On this episode of the History of Advertising podcast, we are picking up from where the last one left off. We are talking about competition. Glorious, gritty and gruelling competition. How do brands distinguish themselves from their direct competitors? How do you compete against a company which is selling an almost identical product? In order to best answer these questions, we are turning to Dave Trott, a legend of Adland and a self-professed master of helping brands who are struggling to keep up with their rivals. We used to work really well with brands that were in trouble. Brands that were comfortable didn't work well for us because all they want to do is kick the can a little further down the road. Don't, don't rock the boat. We didn't know what to do with that. But if you were in trouble, if you were about to get delisted, if you were losing share, losing sales, getting killed by the competition and about to get delisted, you really need to pull this plane out of the dive or you're going to go straight into the ground. That's when you call on us because we will turn it around and it won't be comfortable, but you will now have the clarity of desperation. You will now know now you've got to do something and that's when you want us. Dave Trott started his working life in a factory in East Ham. He moved to New York and was mentored by people from the real Mad Men ad agencies on Madison Avenue. In 1980, after having spent a decade working for a big UK agency, he set up GGT with Mike Gold and Mike Greenlees. One of the agency's first accounts was a largely unknown and struggling electronics company called Toshiba. If you take Toshiba, they had 2% awareness. Sony had 30%. All the other brand, Japanese brands had 2%. Japanese, Korean, Chinese, whatever. Sony had 30%. And they weren't moving. What we found out was the problem was all Japanese brands, to, the, to our audience, sounded identical. Jappy, watchy, coochie, bitchy, bashy, but you know, to the average punter in the street who's buying a TV set or a fridge or whatever, you don't remember all this. Toshiba was getting pummeled by the competition. Its products were indistinguishable from many of its other rivals. Dave explains the strategy he came up with for changing this. Definitely what we had to do to get into consideration was get our brand in the frame. They call it going viral. We used to call it get it in the language. If we get it in the language, that just means people are talking about it. And if people are talking about it, that's free advertising. That's advertising we're not paying for. So if we treat our TV campaign as just seed corn money, our £5 million is just seed corn, and then we've got to generate this into the word, word on the streets, we can generate another £30, £40 million of advertising on the streets to get people talking about it. That's what we would always try to do, word of mouth. The first thing, obviously, with Toshiba isn't to do a very pretty visual treatment that wins an award. The first thing to do is to get it into the language. So, how exactly does one go about getting the name Toshiba into the language? I remember when I was a little kid, my uncles would ruffle my hair and say, Hello, Tosh. Uh, there we go, Hello, Tosh. And there was an Alexi sale record around at the time, Hello, John got a new motor. Very catchy. It was like Cockney Punk. So uh, Cockney punk mixed with rap. Very unusual, but very repetitive. Hello, John got a new motor. Hello, John got a new motor. And I thought, well, what have we done? Hello, Tosh got a Toshiba. Hello, Tosh got a Toshiba. And we kept like that rap going. We could get that into 
the language, and then we use. Obviously, we're going to do a nice visual treatment because we're good. So obviously, we're going to do that. But that's the passenger. The actual working part is the hello Tosh. Hello, hello, hello Tosh got a Toshiba. Hello Tosh got a Toshiba. That's an FST. Right. That's an FST. Right. It's the flattest, squarest tube. It's the flattest, squarest tube. They ain't half built well. They ain't half built well. Of course, every Toshiba component is stronger to last longer. Know what I mean? That's good. <coughs> That's good. <coughs> Hello, Tosh got a Toshiba. Hello, Tosh got a Toshiba. It wasn't long before Dave realised that he had a hit on his hands. I knew it would work because the next morning after it ran, I was sitting in a recording studio and the engineer, we were make, just making conversation, waiting to start, and the engineer said to me, God, there's some rubbish on TV, isn't there? Did you see it last night? There was a Sony commercial and a Toshiba commercial. And I thought, done it. Because last week you would have been saying a Sony commercial and some other telly. I thought, done it. And sure enough, within six weeks, we had 30% awareness level with Sony, while everybody else still had 2%. During his time at GGT, Dave had another client who was being destroyed by its competitors. This time, it wasn't an electronics company. London Docklands had been advertising for about five years and nothing had happened. They were still eight square miles of mud. You forget now, but, but, but that part of London, east of Tower Bridge, from Tower Bridge to Beckton, just eight square miles of mud, and no one would move there, nothing would happen. London Docklands, the riverfront area which forms part of the boroughs of Southwark, Lewisham, Tower Hamlets, Newham and Greenwich, has had a chequered history. The area was bombed heavily during the Second World War, with nearly 400,000 tonnes of timber destroyed in the Surrey docks in a single night. And between 1960 and 1980, all of London's docks were closed, leaving around eight square miles of derelict land behind them. In 1981, Michael Heseltine, the then Secretary of State for the Environment, formed the London Docklands Development Corporation to redevelop the area. Dave's agency was appointed by the LDDC to help advertise the area to prospective businesses which might want to move there. However, at the beginning, the London Docklands were not an attractive proposition. Mainly what was killing them was the other Greenfield sites, Peterborough, Walsh Development Authority, Milton Keynes, Telford. These Greenfield country sites were all advertising. If you're a business and you want to redevelop, come to these fabulous country sites where we've got cows, we've got sheep, your family can have fabulous weekends together and there's little girls with balloons running through fields and what a wonderful place to redevelop. And it's killing Docklands because it's all just mud and they're even putting up posters in Docklands saying, look at this when you could be at Milton Keynes, you know, and pictures of trees and it's harming the morale of everybody there and it's crushing, nobody wants to work on Docklands and nothing's ever happening. How can you get a wasteland of mud to compete with idyllic landscapes? You turn a negative into a positive. We are just mud. They are a fabulous place to live. And what, what, what they did was, uh, yeah, they're a fabulous place for leisure, but let's get real. Is this about le- You're about to build a multi-million pound building. Is this about leisure or is this about work? Why move to the middle of nowhere when you can move to the middle of London? And they had the strap line... Uh, why move to the middle of nowhere when you could move to the middle of London? Did you really want to go out with trees and cows and sheep or that, or do you want to do business? 
You're right next to London here. Why move to the middle of nowhere when you can move to the middle of London? It was a fantastic strategy. The final campaign championed London Docklands location by bringing the phrase as the crow flies to life. It featured a group of crows who fly into London from their various greenfield locations. Oh, oh, late again. That new town my firm's moved to, 50 miles as the crow flies. And believe me, I have to. Here's another late come up. 150 miles, boy, oh, 150 flaming miles. All business development areas have got one thing in common. They're all not in London. All except the London Docklands. Mm, I walked here. I didn't get where I am today by being somewhere else. The London Docklands Development Corporation. Why move to the middle of nowhere when you can move to the middle of London? Suffice to say, Dave's agency had struck gold again. The campaign worked wonders for the Docklands. Milton Keynes, Telford, Peterborough, all the rest got repositioned as the middle of nowhere. And Docklands got repositioned as the middle of London. And it was so successful, all the people that began, that were making inquiries about those other places, began dropping them and now making inquiries about London and all of those other places, you know when something's working, when your competitors try to get it banned. And all of those other places tried to get the Minister for the Environment to ban our advertising, but it, but it was too late. And now, have a look at Docklands, it's now got the tallest buildings in Europe, and Milton Keynes and Telford and Wales have still got cows and sheep and green fields. Both ads featured on this programme show how underdogs can work to topple the competition through savvy advertising. If you're struggling to gain any sort of recognition from the general public, then you need to develop a campaign which will get you into the language of the man on the street. Whilst, if you're getting slated by your competitors, you need to find a way of turning your negatives into positives. Either way, if you're a brand in trouble, the best thing to probably do is get Dave Trott on the case. The History of Advertising podcast was presented by Jack Meggett Phillips and featured contributions from Dave Trott. The programme was produced by Jane Jarvis and Jack Meggett Phillips. If you're interested in learning more about the ads featured on this programme and the work of the History of Advertising Trust, please visit hatads.org.uk.